Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Today's episode of Shut Up, Evan is sponsored by Boxed Water. Summer is just about here, which means Barbie is soon in theaters, Che Diaz is terrorizing Los Angeles, and rising temperatures mean that you are likely dehydrated. Fear not. Boxed Water is here to provide you with the necessary hydration without the guilt of single-use bottles and cans. Reusable bottles are clearly the best option for our planet, but there are situations where their use is not possible or practical. Boxed Water offers the perfect solution in the form of a 92% plant-based package. Stay hydrated all summer long and beyond, and don't forget to check out their delicious flavors, including their limited-time watermelon flavor. Head to BoxedWaterIsBetter.com to find a location near you or to purchase online. That's BoxedWaterIsBetter.com. Why? Because it's better. Boxed Water. Can I just ask? Shut up, Evan. I'm curious. Could you shut up, Evan? One thing I was thinking about. Shut up, Evan. So there are some rumors out there. Evan, shut up! Is it okay if I just ask? Shut up, Evan. Okay, but can I just... Shut up, Evan. I didn't even say anything. Hi, good people. It's Evan Ross Katz, and you are listening to Shut Up, Evan, a podcast about gay shit and internet culture. I'm joined once again by my friend and co-host, Sean Ross. Sean, hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I just got back from a work trip, so. I was going to say, we've both been on work trips, so I feel like we've like been less in touch than usual, and I miss you. Luckily, we get to talk three times a week, so. That's true. I was going to say, it's conditional. Like, I miss you a bit. <laughs> I do talk to you more than I talk to some of my friends. I talk to you more than I talk to almost anyone in my life. It's funny that, for those that don't know, I don't know if we've ever said this, but we've met in person one time, and yeah. I think we probably talk at minimum six days a week. Like when we don't talk every day, it feels strange. Oh yeah. We're like really close. We're like best friends. Yeah. I mean like honestly it's like we like I talk to you more than my best friend. I don't well to be fair, I don't really talk to my best friend that much, but that's that's a longer conversation. Yeah. But... Um but anyway, how was your trip? Uh, it was good. It, it's tiring. I go, I, my work takes me far north Ontario. It's very, very rural and it's a lot of driving. It's like I fly to Winnipeg, which, woo, and then I drive for like four and a half hours and I go to the middle of nowhere and I work and I come back. So it's like exhausting, but I like that alone time. I can really crush an audiobook, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm always really fascinated by those people that do long drives, like what their driving MO is. But sometimes you go with somebody on a long drive and they don't play anything. And it's like, oh, we have to fill all this time with conversation. 
okay, the worst is when you hand them the auxiliary cord and you like, you know, you're being kind. Yeah. What they're giving you is just like, you want to yank that cord right away. Yeah, they're playing Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Or like just a lot of like uh, those conventional, like top 40 of like yesteryear. So like Uh they think they're being nostalgic. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like when someone puts like Wannabe on by the Spice Girls. Yeah. Where we love Wannabe, but like we want it to come on at a bar that we're at in a place where you don't expect it. We don't want to be like the one pushing play on Wannabe. Sometimes we're the one pushing play. I get it. But like, don't you want to go for like a deep cut? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, clearly. Yeah. If if I'm going to start the Spice Girls first album, it's not starting at Wannabe. Where are you starting? Starting a love thing. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) How are you? I am well. I'm a little running on fumes at the moment. Um, I was in LA uh, this past week. Um, I was there for a coach event. Coach just launched this collaboration with Kirsten Dunst. uh, And so she was hosting a fabulous dinner. I gotta tell you, Kirsten Dunst is as rad as you want her to be. And it's funny because I don't know an actor who's filmography was like running through my mind throughout the entire meal being like oh yeah I love her in that oh yeah I love her in that but for me all I like was seeing was Lux Lisbon and the Virgin Suicides like that to me was like I can't believe I'm in the presence of the star of the Virgin Suicides obviously Melancholia and you know we can go down the line but that was the movie that was like really playing in my mind she was so cool she smokes so many cigarettes which I just think is oh. I gotta be honest I really do that's very li- glamorous I yeah I was gonna say I don't like a cigarette smoker but I recognize and also she's a child of the 90s like I'm a 90s uh uh child star so I feel like she gets a pass um but I gotta tell you so by the end of the night we're in the tower bar this is gonna sound a little like uh, name droppy but I'm at the bar with Melanie Linsky who ironically is our guest on today's shut up Evan and then I'm at the bar uh with Melanie's best friend the actress Maggie Lawson now do you remember that Disney Channel original movie from 2000 model behavior I can't say I remember that. Co-starring Kathy Lee Gifford and Justin Timberlake in his film feature debut. Feature film debut. I guess it's not really a feature film if it's made for television. I don't know how that works. Anyway, it was like a really important movie for me growing up. Two tentpoles of my being are Wish Upon a Star, the Katherine Heigl vehicle, and this movie model behavior. And (laughs) as soon as it clicked in that 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 was the Maggie Lawson, I'm like totally starstruck in the way that you kind of are when someone holds a particular place for you in like your formative years. Right. So I'm at the bar talking to these two and then it's like the end of the night, the lights are come on, Kirsten comes over and she's like, oh my God, Evan, like I just have to tell you, like I followed you for so long. I love you so much. I love like following your journey with your husband and I'm so excited for your engagement, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's interesting. I was like, I think I would know if Kirsten Dunst follows me because she's Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. So then after the fact, I'm like, okay, she must think she follows me. Maybe like, you know, friends send her some stuff from time to time. Suggested posts. There you go. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm going to DM her and just be like, it was so nice meeting you. I also like, I mentioned to her that I trying to campaign for a sequel to the film Bachelorette. And so I was like, oh, I'll bring up that as a sort of like, like uh, hash, hashtag justice for Bachelorette too. That'll be like uh-huh. my little, you know, slide into the DMs moment. She responds. She says, it's so nice to meet you. And then I'm thinking, okay, well, this is going to be the moment where she realizes she's not following and she's going to follow. <laughs> Nada. So my conclusion is, I think she follows me from a Finsta. And I'm just fascinated by the culture of celebrity finstas, which Margot Robbie recently confirmed in an interview for Barbie that she has a finsta. I mean, like, I think they're really common. I think they are. They must be. Why would you want everything? You don't want to follow your friends from your blue checkmark account. 
Yeah, I also feel like if you're a famous person, you can do all of your lurking from a Finsta. Totally. So I'm just so curious, like, hopefully, look, I'm mood boarding here. I want Kirsten Dunst on the next season of Shut Up Evan, at which point we ask about the Finsta to get confirmation. And then like, I want to follow back. Like if I was Kirsten Dunst, I would be embarrassed to click a story because I would know that my name with the blue check mark is showing up underneath someone's story views. You're in the writer's room, the team that Kirsten hired to come up with her Finsta handle. What are you going with? I don't know. I, everything I'm going to say is <laughs> going to indicate that it's Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, tricky. 100 cigarettes or 100 ciggies or 100 fags. Love. Really- Have a fag. <laughs> Anywho, so I had a really uh, lovely time over in Los Angeles, but I think that, you know, I literally landed last night, then I came out to the Hamptons this morning, and I feel like it's just like, it's all catching up with me and I'm in a a bit of a haze. And then on top of that, yesterday, as many listening know, uh, the writer's strike was joined by the strike of the actors. Uh, It was announced that SAG-AFTRA, the union, would be striking. As a result, 160,000 plus actors will now be stopping work immediately and will join the writers on the picket line. And it's just devastating. Uh, for so many obvious reasons. Um, But one of the reasons is that the actors that currently have anything in cycle, uh, part of the stipulation on this is that they're no longer allowed to do red carpet appearances, podcast appearances, any social media promotion of their work, or the work of fellow actors. It's my understanding, in speaking to several actors, Though technically they could promote the work of another actor, it would seem sort of out of touch with the solidarity of the movement. And so as a result, I mean, obviously these films like Barbie and Oppenheimer, they're good to go. Like people are going to get their butts in the seats, but there's a lot of other films and television series that are not indie, but just do not have a large built-in audience that really rely on promotion. And ultimately... It just sucks for the actors, but I understand that it's a long game here, right? And in order to create the change that is needed, this is sort of one of the hits that has to be taken. But like, I'm thinking about my friend Julio Torres, for instance, who has this terrific new film, Problemista, that I cannot encourage people enough to go and see. It's his debut feature film. He's so excited. He's got Tilda Swinton in the film, co-starring opposite him, Greta Lee, uh, former Shut Up Evan Guest is in it, and he can't promote it. And it's just really unfortunate. And yet something that needs to be done. It needs to be done, right. And so we stand in solidarity with all of those striking writers and actors alike and laborers in general. This is a pro-union podcast. What if I like made that statement and you were like, actually, Evan, like you don't speak on my behalf and I'm actually anti-union. What if we unionized Shut Up Evan? That would be a gag for you. <laughs> that's that's true. That's very true. Please don't unionize. Uh, anywho, we are here today to chat about this series, Glamorous, uh, which is a new Netflix series that premiered a couple of weeks ago. It stars Kim Cattrall. It... Uh, conspicuously uh, debuted on the very same day as And Just Like That. So if you've been seeing a bunch of Kim Cattrall in the press, uh, well, actually, that stops now. But but previously, yeah. had you been seeing it these past couple <laughs> weeks, that was not to promote And Just Like That, her cameo appearance uh, in episode 11. That was actually to promote this show, Glamorous. Uh, and so you and I both watched the pilot episode of the series. So top level... What'd you think? 
Wow. <laughs> wow. Not a show I would watch, typically. I never watched Ugly Betty, but it feels like a remake of Ugly Betty, just in the sort of superfluous details I know about Ugly Betty, in the sense that, you know, somebody who doesn't... Uh, it's not that... It's not that the character of Marco doesn't belong in this beauty company, but sort of like happens into it uh, and really wants it and has to prove themselves. And there's obvious links to Devil Wears Prada, which are actually called out in the show. Um, you know, it's like, I, I get that it has an audience and I get that it's for somebody. I don't know that it's for me. Fair. I want to back up and just sort of give the premise of the show briefly. So according to Netflix, this show is about an aspiring influencer named Marco who lands a dream job with a makeup mogul played by Kim Cattrall and begins a, quote, dazzling journey of self-discovery amid work chaos and romantic challenges. And as you said, like it's completely tapping into Ugly Betty, The Devil Wears Prada and other, you know, films and television series of that ilk. Uh, My... Okay, I gotta say, like, I want to be, like, very honest here. It is getting increasingly hard to talk about projects that you are friends with or know people in or even projects where you're rooting for the people that are a part of it. And to me, the podcast, this podcast is a little bit more of a safe space than Instagram, where I think like information disseminates more easily. Mm -hmm. And not that I have like an overwhelmingly negative take about this show, but I think exactly what you said, like this is just not a show that I would watch if Kim Cattrall were not the star of it. Um, And it's not a show I probably will continue to watch beyond the pilot, not because I think it's a piece of shit, more because it's not for me. But I also know and love a lot of the people associated with the show. And I feel a weirdness around like wanting to be authentic about, you know, my feelings about anything while also sort of being like, well, but I love the show. I mean, I feel that way about And Just Like That sometimes where I'm like, not that I'm friends with the people involved with And Just Like That, but I know them and I am rooting for them. And I want this show to be successful, even though I don't plan to continue watching it. So (laughs) I think, you know, many things can be true. But my overall take having now watched it is that it's like putting a bunch of ideas in a blender in the hope that what is blended will be something new. But for me, like those chunks of the things it's, I don't want to say stealing from, borrowing, whatever you want to call it, those always sort of feel at the surface for me throughout the entire show. You know, in this overcrowded, already overcrowded television landscape, this did not have enough of a hook to make me want to continue watching it. And it made me think about Jury Duty, which interestingly, the actress Lisa Gilroy, who appears on Glamorous, also appears on Jury Duty. And I think part of the appeal of Jury Duty was how refreshing of a premise it was on top of the fact that they were able to derive so much humor from the premise. It's pretty clear, like, this is going to be like a more like week, like workplace antics show uh-huh. than it is going to like do anything like against the grain here. And A, I think there are a lot of workplace antic shows, but I also don't think the humor was present enough to have it rely solely on being antics-driven. Yeah, do you know what the humor felt like to me? It was like a, not watered down, but it's a glossed up sort of like mainstream version of Twitter, queer Twitter humor from the past five years, like where it was just like a lot of of one-liners being said that you're like, oh yeah, uh, like... That is, I guess, a way to present queer culture to the masses. But I don't know that anybody who's not queer 
is going to watch this show anyways. So it's not like it's on an ABC. It feels like an ABC show, really. It feels like a Desperate Housewives, that sort of a show. But it's not on ABC. So if you're clicking play on this, you know what you're getting into. And so I'm not sure that it's like, I'm not sure who that's for then as a result. So you get into something that I have been thinking a lot about lately, which is that like, you know, when we were growing up, you and I, there were all these different networks, right? And you came to understand like, when you're watching an MTV show, that is very different than watching something on Fox Family. Did you have Fox Family were in Canada? Uh, it got like disseminated out, but yeah. But they were just like different styles, but also sort of like MTV was going to air the real world and you were going to see blurred out naked people, which you were not going to see on CBS or Nickelodeon. And I think now that we sort of have these all these conglomerate networks like a Netflix and because they have such vast programming, you get like Elite, which is like basically softcore, maybe even at times it feels almost hardcore porn. Um, which is a, a drama, a Spanish drama about kids in high school and antics, but mostly sexually driven antics. And then you have this show where I didn't quite know, yeah, as you point out, who the audience is and like, does that matter? And my answer is yes, but like, does it matter to Netflix is something I was thinking about. Mm. And I also was thinking about this, I, I wouldn't call it a renaissance, but you kind of have like two types of queer shows right now, not to be so binary about it, but you kind of have like Heartstopper, Queer as Folk, uh, The Reboot, uh, Love, Victor, Young Royals, It's a Sin, which are these shows that are about queerness with a ton of queer characters. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, you have shows like, you know, the aforementioned Elite or Yellow Jackets or The Other Two, uh, which are shows that have queer characters and dabble in queer themes or, you know, occasionally a subplot involving queerness. But oftentimes it's just queer characters rather than being so much about queerness. And this show, granted, it's not about queerness, but like this is a show in which, and you know, this is not atypical of the beauty industry, but this is a show in which like everyone Marco encounters is either LGBTQ plus or like Kim Cattrall and basically like a mother type. Um, and I get it to some extent, right? Which is that like, this is television, right? So you can create the euphoric landscape that you want to see in the world. I, I don't know, like, th to that degree, it was sort of like, I don't want to say I was missing straight people. That's certainly not it. But like, he really faced no challenges. You know what I mean? Like every time he would meet someone, like you, you meet Kim Cattrall's son at the very beginning and he sort of seems like, oh, he's going to be the antagonist here um, because he's calling out, you know, he seems to be rather homophobic, but then you find out, no, he too is gay, which, okay, so then you could say, well, homo gay people can also be homophobic. And there's certainly some femphobia that he, you know, displays towards Marco. Uh-huh. But is that like, and that, it, you know, that exists, right? Like we, we face this within our community. Is that interesting in the context of a show like this that's not going to be exploring that? That's the thing. I don't think they're not exploring that. And so I don't know how much of that is intentional because yeah. the character is the baddie of the show, but not for that reason. It's for the reason that this character is super ambitious and willing to step over people and like, you know, push people out of their way to get to the top, which like, what is the top? Your mom is the head of the company. So you're going to inherit it at some point. So I'm not sure like what the end game is for that character. Yes. But like you look at a character like, uh, when Marco gets into the wrong Uber and there's a, a guy who basically looks identical to the Kim Cattrall son character, uh, can't tell them apart. They're just both muscle blonde 
gay people. They're Kens. Yeah, they're Kens. And Marco doesn't pick up on the fact that this guy is gay, despite the fact that he's like dropping Lady Gaga quotes and all the signs are there. And <laughs> yeah. Marco is totally oblivious to this. But it's like, again, it's like, oh, this like conventionally straight guy is also gay. And so like, what are we saying here? Because I don't know if we're going to be creating a world in which every character is queer, maybe we could have, and like there is variation, but maybe we could have more variation than these. Like we have two people that look identical to each other and they're blonde. Present straight characters (laughs) that the queer characters get to sort of like, uh, put in their corner essentially yeah, like yeah. i'd like to see the the straight characters you know failing constantly and give us those like sassy clapbacks from the queer characters i just feel like it's good to have i don't know again i feel like here i am being like we need more straight cis representation well, yeah we need more straight people on tv no but i mean this does <laughs> just make me think about a show like the other two which i know you haven't seen yet but i feel like one of the really sad things about the other two, A, you know, being canceled, but also like not getting any Emmy love, which by the way, justice for Helena York, who deserved a nomination for her role on the other two. That's a separate conversation. But one of the great things about the other two is it's like the gayest show I've ever seen. And obviously, yes, one of the two central characters is gay. And there is, you know, many a storyline about him having gay sex or going to a gay club, whatever. But there's also just like so much implicit queerness in that show, um, certainly by design. I mean, one of the co-creators of the show is a gay man. When I see the other two, I'm like, this is such a great example of like the queer sensibility uh, overlaying a concept that's not about queerness, but, you know, contains the queer sensibility in the same way that I think about Sex in the City, which was a show that was created by a gay man. And when that gay man departed in season three, another gay man came in to run the ship. And there is something about Sex in the City that there's a reason why so many gay men connect to that show. I mean, I think queer people in general, as well as straight women. And I think that's because of a queer sensibility. I also was thinking about centering a show in the beauty industry. Uh, I just feel like, you know, We've kind of seen, not maybe not necessarily the beauty industry, but I feel like, you know, there's similarities between the beauty industry and, like, the publishing world and the fashion world. And I feel like these are sort of, like, it's a bit trodden to me. And I was thinking about The Bear, um, which I'm in the middle. I'm about to finish season one, and I will get into season two this weekend. Um, but I feel like one of the things about The Bear is that it's not exposing, but it's really showing you like what goes on in this kitchen. And I know for me watching it, I'm like just in awe of like the the movements and the pacing and, and just how real it feels. And I feel like I have a better sense of what a kitchen is like having watched The Bear. I didn't know it was about a kitchen. Did you think it was about an actual bear? I thought it was about a bear. Yeah, no. It's a kitchen. I like something more like the bear where I come away from it feeling like, wow, I had no idea what this world was like. I think similarly about the white Lotus, this is what uber wealthy people on vacation are like. And this is what a five star luxury hotel. This is what it's like. This is what the staff is like. Like I I think that there's so much appeal in building out these worlds of things that we, we audiences are often curious about. And I feel like with the beauty industry, I'm like, this was giving me exactly what I would imagine, but like on gay steroids. And I'm not sure that I'm left kind of wondering, like, you know, I think about the character of Madeline, for instance, uh, who's Kim Cattrall's character. And it's like, I've seen that character a lot, albeit she was like kind of 
a little softer than I was expecting mm-hmm. the character to be and like kind of almost like warm in a way, which I guess maybe that was the subversion, but <laughs> I, I just wasn't quite sure what the, the, the beauty world was going to teach us about Marco and, but, and also just like what the purpose was of setting it in the beauty world, what that was going to expose to audiences. I will say it is nice that we have a mainstream show that stars the character as femme presenting gay. That's, it's a nice vehicle for Miss Benny that if this was on network TV, that would be quite groundbreaking. Like I said, I think it loses some of that impact being on Netflix. But I mean, like the concept is there again, like this is kind of a show that I don't think it's setting out to say anything in particular. It's sort of a background noise. Uh, that's how I would classify it. And there's nothing wrong with that per se. But, you know, you're, like you said, you're not going to necessarily like find nuggets of truth. It's sort of like everything that uh, that Marco says to sort of like push Kim Cattrall's character to like, you know, shake things up is like the audience could see that coming from five miles away. It was like, oh, somebody needs to tell her this. And so Marco tells her that. And so Marco is our hero. And so it's just, you know, it's a little bit like feeding the audience what they want to here to make us feel smarter or feel better about ourselves because we know what should happen and then it does happen. And I feel like he basically gives her like a few queer affirmations and like her world is turned upside down (laughs) and she's just like, you need to come and work for me. Um, And yeah. And again, it's just like, and I think part of this is my ongoing problem with like, I, I dig for logic on a lot of television or in films that I watch and the part of the reason again going back to a show like The Bear is because one thing I feel like The Bear does like tremendously well is it's so much about creating the realness of the moment from beat to beat um so you haven't seen any of The Bear no okay so like I just finished this like a 20 minute episode that's pretty much just like one straight scene and it's basically like the premise is that like the chef didn't realize that she turned on the pre-orders for the day And as a result, everyone shows up and there's like hundreds of orders that have already come in and like they're not getting things going. And so they just got to like get everything going. And it's literally just like this long scene of like how everyone turns on the machine, both figuratively and literally. And then just like the chaos that ensues of everyone trying to do their jobs in harmony with one another while everyone is freaking the fuck out. And then customers come in and there's yelling and screaming and food on the floor and all of this chaos. And it's so interesting to watch how it all plays out. And again, I don't think Glamorous is trying to be the bear, but I know that like when I watch the bear, it's like my heart is racing and I like that feeling. And my heart, uh, I felt it, it was pretty, uh, you were flatlining. (laughs) Yeah. No, I wasn't flatlining, but I was like, yeah, like status quo here. (laughs) Okay. So the whole turning point of Glamorous is that Marco is working at a department store selling makeup, doing makeovers. Madeline goes in there and Madeline asks for a makeover using her own product. So already, okay, let's suspend disbelief there. Marco does the makeover. Do you think that makeover was worthy of a job offer for Madeline? Let's talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Because also she walks in with her face fully beat, not the standard (laughs) beat that maybe like the executive of a makeup company would have. This is like a Kim Cattrall beat, which means that like, 
you have your face painted on and then like you paint another layer over that. And this is obviously before the filters from the camera come in in post-production. So yeah, I felt like what was needed, again, I, I hate doing these like rewrites because it's like, it's not like, you know, but yeah. <laughs> could she have come in having endured some disaster, you know, where she was just crying perhaps and her makeup is running down her face or there was something where she was on her way to something and needed to stop at the mall because circumstance brought her here. Because basically what we're seeing is like she just happens to be at the department store. What if she was walking down the street and a bus with her face on the side of it splashed her with a puddle and it destroyed her makeup? I love it. And then you can go fully camp where like she walks in and the makeup is literally running down her face onto her dress. Like dripping. Great. Sold. Yeah. I mean like, so there's nuggets of like what this could be here, but this makes me circle back to our sort of original question of, of who is this for? And I guess like, do you think should everything be for like a targeted audience? Because I'm thinking about like, the White Lotus, for instance, who I don't think that's for anyone. Well, I mean, it's not for kids. I mean, it is for a certain demographic of people. It's not, it, I, and I don't think it's necessarily for viewers of Glamorous, to be honest. Like, there is some nuance in viewership. And I think that Glamorous is for young queer people. I think they want to see themselves reflected, I think they want to see themselves thriving. Uh, and I think this is like a, the easiest way you can do that or the most palatable way that is a little bit, yes, mindless, but affirming. Fair enough. And that's totally valid. I think that then what I am craving, and I don't have the bandwidth for this, but I would love to get 20 queer people together in a room, have them watch this and like collect some data. You want a Che Pasa focus group? I sure do. What did you think of Marco's definition of snatched? Remind me. The definition that Marco gave his mother for snatched is dressed nice with good makeup. Sure. It's a definition. It's a definition. There were a couple <laughs> times when Marco would say things that I like wasn't I wasn't sure about. So he like goes into that boardroom at the end and says yeah. that he doesn't know who Cher is. Yeah. I get maybe you can't name a single Cher song. The fact that you're saying you don't know who Cher is tells me that you're lying. Yeah. Because you're saying you don't know who Cher is. Okay, actually, sorry, I'm going to bring up your girl. I will. But, like, <laughs> I do think, like, Alanis Morissette sure. could be a good example in 2023 of someone that a young queer person wouldn't know who they are. And, like, that's alarming. But, like, or prior to Stranger Things, Kate Bush. Kate Bush or, like, an Annie Lennox or yes. Cindy Lauper. There's lots of people. But Cher is sort of, like, I feel like Cher is canon to young people. I think that's part of what makes Cher Cher is that she is very, like, multi-generation. Yeah. The, the character of Marco, there is no way that Marco doesn't know who Cher is. I'm sorry. And also, if that is the case, then, like, his mother is failing. And also, what world is Marco living in that five years is two Lady Gaga eras? I want to live in that world. Because <laughs> she's sleeping. She, she is asleep. She's sleeping on, on Instagram Live right now. Yeah. So I guess I would net out with the show, kind of, I am glad it exists. I did not have a hard time watching it. I think it went down very easy. Oh, very easy. I'm not... So certain, like, if, like, nine more episodes are in my immediate future. Um, but 
I'll leave on a positive before I pass to you to say that like, I am glad to see Kim Cattrall on television in 2023. And I would, yes, and, yes, and I would love to see Kim Cattrall because she's kind of, she's on this show. Before this, she was on Queer as Folk. I believe she was or is on the How I Met Your Mother spinoff playing Hilary Duff's character's mom. There was also like, an NBC or a CBS show at one point several years ago. Uh She kind of keeps bopping around and like, I would love to see Kim be given that like Tanya McQuad esque role that she can like really sink her teeth into because I think she is so capable and I think she's not being used in the past several roles to the best of her abilities. Mm. Yeah. I hear you. That scene where Marco is in, Kim Cattrall's uh, Madeline's office and there's all of these past covers like Vogue and you know there's all these magazine covers Mm -hmm. are those legitimate like archival photos of Kim Cattrall that you recognize yes that's fun that's fun um the main portrait that's like right when you walk in her office the one that they both like comment on that is like available on Getty Images (laughs) like that is a realist Kim, you will see on this show um, because Ms. Cottrell enjoys a filter, but you know what? I'm not a hater. Like I'll yeah, take her sure. any fashion she's willing to give me of any form she's willing to give. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So yeah, so that is glamorous um, available now on Netflix. Now today's guest just received not just one, but two Emmy nominations. They received a nomination, uh, their second nomination for lead actress in a drama series for playing Shauna on Yellow Jackets. They also landed a guest actress in a drama series nomination uh, for their role as Kathleen on The Last of Us. So fingers crossed for both of those awards for her. She is, of course, the great Melanie Linsky. And I just want to say before we throw to her, this interview was recorded weeks ago. Uh, Melanie, like all actors, is adhering to the current stipulation around anyone that is a part of SAG-AFTRA not doing any press. So I just want to be very explicit in saying, once again, interview taped weeks ago. And weeks ago I was shook, and I'll be shook again when I re-listen to it because I love her so, so very much. She is not only a queen of television and film, but a queen of social media. Uh, She is, as I just said, sorry, spoiler, Melanie Linsky. (sighs) Shut up, even. Hello. Hi. I love that wallpaper. We just discovered there's mold in this room, so it's going to have to come out. Well, good while it lasted. Yeah. Now, I gotta let you know before we get started too, Kathy Jimmy commented on your most recent Instagram post mm-hmm. saying that she cannot find the Las Colstristas episode. Oh, did she? Yeah, so we need to make sure that we get Kathy Jimmy a link or something to help her out because that's an important cause. I know, I know. Thank you for... Of course. <laughs> that's so sweet. Now, Melanie, you and I share something in common that I heard you articulate during that interview on Las Culturistas, and it pinged really loudly for me. You spoke about not liking compliments. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because in doing my research and watching so many interviews that you do, there's something about you that people like to compliment you. It comes out in like... Every interview I watch, and now that I know that about you, (laughs) I have my eyes on your reaction the entire time. Yeah. And I have to say, you hide it very well. It's not something you can visually pick up on. Um, But what is it that 
you don't love about a compliment because I don't love them either. I think I don't know how to receive it. I mean, I love giving compliments. So I do understand people wanting to give compliments. I think it's so lovely. I find them challenging because the only real follow-up that it sort of invites is thank you. Yeah. So it doesn't really have like a natural like place where we go from there. Yeah. Um, It's sort of just like, oh, great. That's thank you. And then sort of what's next? That's sort of my not issue with them. I obviously understand the necessity of them, but yeah. I'm sort of like, it's a pleasantry that it's kind of like, how are you? Where I'm like, okay, where do we go next? I know. I know. I feel because you can't go like, oh, I know. Yeah, I really was. <laughs> this is so great. Yeah. The right. weirder thing is when someone comes up and just says like, I saw you in this. Because then you can't even say thank you. You're just like, okay. Because <laughs> you don't want to follow up and be like, well, what did you think? Because yeah. that just invites a potentially uncomfortable conversation. Yeah. I feel like at one time there was a version of me that used to do that with people. And then I quickly learned, judging <laughs> by their awkward response, that there was a better <laughs> way to connect with individuals about work that moves us. Yeah. Now, I have a question that I have been meaning to ask you for so long, and I want to lead with it because it's top of mind for me. So I wrote a book uh, two years ago mm. about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And when I was interviewing Sarah Michelle Gellar, mm-hmm. she told me that Joss Whedon, the creator of Buffy, he had envisioned you for the role of Willow yeah. when he first wrote it. And that there was some issue around your visa that prevented you from coming and auditioning for the show. Is that true? It is basically true. It was kind of a visa issue, um, but not really. I I also was not sure about doing television at that time. It was very early. I had a very old school agent who was like, TV, like, you know, that's for husbands. And I was like, I don't think it is anymore, but... Um, you know, certainly now things have really changed. She would, right. you know, she's not with us anymore, but she would have been amazed at this time, I think. But I just wasn't super into it. And so, you know, I had a dinner with Joss um, after I said no. I don't remember if it was like an offer or if it was like, would you come read for it or what it was. And, you know, we stayed in touch after that. And then, I guess they were replacing the person from the pilot at a certain point and I had stayed in touch with him and he said now do you think you would want to do it and I was like I saw the pilot and I was like oh this is good and I kind of took my agent into it and I was like listen I think it's really great and she was like okay um and then it was this whole thing where it's like well now you have to audition and I was like oh okay and then I auditioned oh they didn't like what you were wearing it was a whole process um and then I didn't get Alison Hannigan got it, who was absolutely wonderful and all was as it should have been. Absolutely. Yeah. I never had a moment where I was like, oh, I do wish I was on that show. But that was the actual the actual story. Okay. Well, thank you. for. I just, I've always wanted to know. And I agree with you. Alison Hannigan is fantastic. Oh, so good. It's just sometimes fun as a fan of something to imagine other actors in the roles. It's not to say that you wish that one wasn't in it and one was it's more just like hmm it's kind of like theater right where it's like yeah we get so many interpretations of like a mama rose for instance in gypsy and with film and television it's like what if we were afforded this opportunity to say like what if multiple actors played this role that we love that's sort of where my head goes i know i know it's funny to me because like when i was younger i used to kind of you know get sort of pressured into talking about things i'd auditioned for or like 
decided not to do and I I was trying to be a good like interview subject and now I really passionately feel that like if you didn't do the job it was never your job no I get it because um we live in a culture with pull quotes as they are oh. where it's one of those things where someone says I was up for this role and then the headline reads so and so was meant to do this role I know and blah 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 again and you know this well more often than not, actors are prompted to answer these things. Yeah. But when they're in a pull quote, it makes it seem like the actor just offered this up and that there's some sort of bitterness around it. That's sort of the insinuation when it's just in a pull quote. And it's like, no, 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 no. We were baited into this. Clickbait culture is my least favorite thing right now. I've had it so many times recently. I just had one yesterday that I was like, this is so annoying. Like people don't, read the interview or watch the interview or get any kind of context there's just like one little quote and then it's spun off into headlines there's a whole thing like oh the actress from the last of us is pitching a prequel I was like no I'm not never in a million years I had to text Craig Craig Mason was like sorry about this dude he texted me he's like this sucks and I was like do you know that I'm not like pitching pre he was like of course I know like it's taken out of context. Someone said, would you do more episodes? And I was like, well, I died. So no, you know, and they were like, well, yeah. you know, a prequel. I was like, sure. You know, I'm not going to be like, no, thanks. So it just is exhausting that like things get taken out of context and then people just read a headline. It's like not just one place. It's there's one place picks it up. Yeah. And then it goes and there's a million. And, and for people that don't know, just to contextualize pull quote culture, it was something that was born out of the 2010s digital media boom. Yeah. Actors do these long form interviews in places like Vanity Fair or the New York mm -hmm. Times. And again, they're asked about things. Yeah. Sometimes baited into them. Other times I think they're just genuinely trying to do an expansive interview around the subject. Mm -hmm. A page six or a Daily Mail picks up a single quote. I think I know the instance that you're speaking of right now. I won't bring it up because I don't want to, you know, <laughs> potentially get into that. But what I wonder is there has to be a part of you. It makes you more guarded, I would imagine. Yeah. But at the same time, you want to be able to just be yourself and speak freely because it, it creates this whole other layer when you're having to be careful about saying something that's innocuous. I know. But when taken out of context can take on a life of its own you don't want to spend your time having to sort of like self-edit. Is that challenging? It is because I'm a very open person. I'm not a guarded person. I want to have a conversation with somebody. And the instance that we're talking about, I'm okay to talk about it because I think it's always good to clarify. Um, you know, on the Happy Sad Confused podcast, um, he asked me, you know, was it hard like being so, so close with Kate Winslet? And then the friendships don't, you know, it, what happens on set doesn't always translate into real life. And I would be doing a disservice to that friendship if I said, no, it was fine. You know, like it was a formative time of my life. I was 15 years old, like, and it was my first job. You know, the reality is not all relationships last forever. You don't stay in touch with people. It's very hard when you live in different countries. It's a thing I know so well now. And you know, there are people I've lost touch with and there are people who've lost touch. You know, it's like, it's just life. But I just was like, oh God, I just loved her, you know? And I, it, for me, it me, I meant it to sound like a loving thing about the time that I did have with her and how precious that was to me. And then it turns into something that it just wasn't. And I'm just like, do I 
say something about it? Do I say, actually, it's not accurate how it's being portrayed? Do you just let it go and wait for the next news cycle to come in? Like, it's so new to me. Unfortunately, I think it's very damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because if you respond to it, it makes it seem as though you care enough to like issue a response. I know. But if you don't respond, then you're basically allowing these things to go on. So yeah, I I, I think about it a lot with actors. And I think it's one of the unfortunate things about internet culture as it exists now that doesn't really get unpacked enough because I think it's part of the reason why I don't even know if like everyday people are as conscious of this, but I think that actors are so much more guarded in interviews. I know Mm -hmm. this particularly well when I'm doing a magazine profile. There's a consciousness. I have a lot more instances of PR wanting questions in advance, Mm -hmm. getting do not asks, etc. And oftentimes the do not ask I then come to find is not the actor's discomfort with talking about Mm -hmm. it. It's that they don't want to be on the record talking about it because of how it might be perceived. I love reading a long profile. I love getting to know somebody and reading, like Alex Jung interviews somebody, like I'm going to sit down as soon as I see that come out and read the whole thing. Like, I, I think it's beautiful. I don't want people to be guarded. And it's also, there's like a laziness that really bugs me where people are not reading the actual piece they're just reading a headline it's like could you be any lazier and then people sometimes people who write the clickbait things I'm like you didn't even read it and I actually think what you were talking about in that Kate instance is something that people even outside of the industry are probably very familiar with which is that feeling of having formative friendships in our youth whether it be summer camp or Sunday school Mm -hmm. and what have you and then life just happens yeah and you're in a unique position where you get to keep seeing this person because of the vocation that you both are in whereas most of us it's like I don't know where my camp friends are now. I'm not driving down Rodeo and seeing a billboard with my camp friends. Uh, More often than not, that's not the case. Um, (laughs) But so I imagine that's an odd thing. But I think people too, you know this, I think a lot of times these uh, pull quotes are done in bad faith. And that's the issue. Yeah. What you're talking about, that's sort of like that lack of literacy, the media literacy that we have right now. Mm -hmm. It's almost like they want to propagate that and continue that. And the bad faith thing is a thing that drives me absolutely crazy. I will say you had one pull quote from a recent interview that you did that I that I loved, mm. uh, which was the quote, the homosexual agenda should be pushed at all times. Yeah, well, I stand behind that one. Yeah, that took on a life of its own. And that was one of those instances, because I try and be discerning in terms of like, which pull quotes I disseminate. Yeah. I don't feel like that needs context or or necessarily needs one to read more. So no. I was a big fan of that one. Oh, good. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so um, another actor that recently did an interview uh, was Stanley Tucci. And mm-hmm. he was talking to Entertainment Tonight. And he said that he would never play his role in Lovely Bones. He said, quote, it's a wonderful movie, but it was a tough experience simply because of the role. And I'm wondering if you've had an experience like that where it's not that you regret making the movie or that you didn't like the role, but that taking on that character and living with that character was something that you wouldn't do again necessarily. I don't know if there's anything I wouldn't do again. I think the closest feeling I've had to that is probably um, perks of being a wallflower because I was playing a child molester and that's the most horrific thing you can imagine so to kind of get in the mindset of that person I actually couldn't I just was like okay so here's a person who's in denial that she's doing anything wrong so let me just kind of lead with that emotionally (laughs) but then I wouldn't not do it because I think it's a beautiful movie it's interesting you say that though because I feel like so many people 
have this idea with actors where it's like, you have to go into the space that the character is in. But what you're saying is sort of like, out of self-protection for like Melanie, the human being, I can still achieve this performance and 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 save a part of myself in doing so. Yeah. Especially as these conversations on method acting, it's always like, what's the most extreme thing that I can do in alignment with the character's lived experience? Yeah. And it sounds like in this instance, what you're saying is sort of just like, I can imagine. That's that's plenty. Yeah, I can imagine how she's feeling, that she's full of self-loathing and she's full of like conflicted feelings. And, you know, like those things are okay. Now, that that movie, that shot in Pittsburgh, correct? Yeah. Okay, so I'm born and raised in Pittsburgh. Oh, I loved Pittsburgh. Love Pittsburgh. And I feel like that movie captured that shot going through the Fort Pitt Tunnel and opening up into the city, which is one of those like majestic aspects of Pittsburgh. It never gets old. Yeah. Um, what were some of your favorite memories of shooting there? I wasn't there for very long. They shot all my stuff at once and I'm barely in the movie. So I think I was there for five days. So I didn't do very much, but just... I was really amazed at how beautiful the city was. I was like, why aren't people talking about Pittsburgh? Like there's a culture there. The food was really good. It just was, it was really nice. Once people go, they tend to like it. It's just a hard city to get people to have a reason to go to. Yeah. But thankfully more and more film and TV is shot there now. And I always try and make a point to ask actors about it. And they more often than not have good things to say about Pittsburgh. Yeah, I've never heard a bad thing about Pittsburgh. Well, there is one famously bad thing about Pittsburgh. So speaking of pull quotes, mm. um, Sienna Miller, yeah. years and years and years ago, was shooting a movie there and was asked about it. And she called it Schittsburg. Oh. And that became a pull quote. And like our, the entire city like rallied against her. That was like a a fun moment in culture that was like ultimately pretty non-toxic. But yes, on the whole, <laughs> it has a good reputation. It's not Schittsburg. No. No. I want to talk about that recent appearance on Drew Barrymore because mm. it was so incredible. And I love that moment when you were joined by your husband, the actor, Jason Ritter. It was so powerful having him talk about, you know, his experience um, with alcoholism. It was only after like uh, maybe a year into not drinking where I started to go, oh, maybe I, maybe I can promise some things to someone else. Maybe I can be this person. And it's been like a slow burn. So, it was, so I knew that she was incredible. It was, it was working on myself enough to feel like maybe, she, maybe I could be the one for her too. Um, sorry. <laughs> And from what I understand, you didn't even know that he was going to come on and share that. And the reason I'm interested in this conversation particularly is I just was interviewing the season 15 winner of Survivor mm. for my other podcast. I host a Survivor podcast. Oh, awesome. After his win, he um, went on sort of a downward spiral and appeared on the Dr. Phil show where they really exploited him in some disgusting ways. But in this conversation that we, I just had with him earlier today, talking about living with alcoholism and, and his experiences and everything he, he gained from that, I, I left that conversation like being so thankful about his openness yeah. with sharing that and just wishing that there were more honest and frank, but also tender conversations about the subject. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering what it was like. I mean, you, you obviously know about his experience, but there's something about sharing that yeah. in that medium and then having Drew share her own experiences that I think has like the power to really 
affect people. Yeah. Both those currently in the throes of addiction, but also those that sort of perhaps lack an empathy around it. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what it was like for you in that moment being surrounded by that. I felt so proud of both of them. You know, we did our pre-interview separately, so I didn't know what he was going to talk about. And also I know, because that was the third time I've done Drew's show, I know that very rarely does anything that happen and happens in the pre-interviews go to the actual interview. You know, it's so like unscripted and in the moment. So I didn't think to be like, what are you going to talk about? I was like, well, we'll see what happens. I did not know he was going to bring it up. And I've been on the whole journey with him. There was a time where it was really tough for him to talk about and I think for a lot of alcoholics and a lot of people with addiction issues like it's very hard to kind of own it and so for him to be so public and so okay with whatever the response was going to be the response was incredible and I do think it really helped people um and then of course Jason is in his comments replying to every single person who writes to him about their struggles because he's such a beautiful human being but for both of them I just felt like gosh how incredible that you are both at this point in your life you're such kind empathetic wonderful people and you're sharing this together it felt really moving for me I've you know I've known her since I was 19 years old I don't know there are moments in time where I think gosh if I could have had a time machine and flash forward to see this particular moment like when I first met and knew Drew if I could have seen that moment happening, I would have just been like, oh my gosh, the fact that we're all mature adults and knowing each other better and knowing ourselves better, it was really incredible. There's something about Drew's spirit, because you know, we're talking earlier about how guarded people can be now. Yeah. And I feel like Drew has this power in her. It's like she gets inside of you and she makes you want to share yourself without fear. Mm -hmm. I went and did her podcast several months ago with her mm -hmm. and we must have talked for longer after the interview than the actual interview just because you don't want to be away from her because when you're with her, life feels better. I know. I had a similar experience. I had to go do another talk show and I just was like, I don't want to leave this little bubble of just like sitting on the sofa in the green room with you. Yeah. You know, I don't know when I'm going to see her again. And I just, I treasure it. You know, she used to have these huge big parties and I never came away from one of those parties feeling like I had not connected with her. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes you're like, oh, I didn't really get to see her, but she was hosting or whatever. But I always felt like I had connected with her, I had seen her, I'd spent time with her. And I think every single person felt that. She cares so much and you can't be dishonest with her. You just can't. It's not even an option. It's just not, no. How many people have that effect on people in general, but especially people in Hollywood who distinctly often come in with an armor and mm -hmm. she just manages to disarm. I know. Um, what is it that you love most about your husband, Jason Ritter? Well, now that we are parents together, it's beautiful to see him with our daughter. He's so wonderful. He's such a sweet dad. He's such a sweet dad to a little girl. He's just funny and weird and silly. And she and I like, we'll just have laughing fits about some ridiculous thing. There was one night where uh, it was so late. She should have been asleep, but he kept like making fart noises. It's so silly, but <laughs> He was making these 
he was like, okay, we really have to try to go to sleep. And then he'd do like a fart noise. And we were crying with laughter. And he later said like, you know, those things in a movie where someone's like lost their family or whatever. And they look back at like running on the beach. He was like, what they really would be watching is like a video of the time (laughs) they made fart noises and their family couldn't stop laughing. The thing that attracted me to him immediately was just how kind he was. I love him. He's also so cute. He's really cute. Yeah. He is really cute. He's so cute. Well, I want to bring in our first surprise guest, which is appropriate considering we were just talking about him. Hi, Melanie. It's Jason. Uh, I have a two-part question for you. The first part is, um, is there something about the human condition, being human in general, uh, that is fascinating enough to you that uh, it made you want to do a job where you study this creature and you pretend to be these things um, for your life's work. Uh, That's the first part. And the second part of the question is, uh, will you marry me again? Uh, And please get back to me as quickly as possible. Thank you. Bye. (laughs) That's cute. That's a little in-joke because the first time he proposed, it wasn't great. (laughs) So he he re he proposes all the time to make up for it, which is really cute. That is really cute. Yeah, I know. It just made me a bit emotional. Oh, what a sweet question. I guess I don't know how to answer it. It's a very complicated question. It is. Yeah. I mean, I am fascinated by people. I would rather just sit and talk than do anything else. I don't like small talk. I want to just get to know people. I want to hear everything. I guess. I guess I'm fascinated by humans. I think, honestly, sometimes those complicated questions don't necessarily require complicated answers. I think Mm -hmm. it's as simple as the desire to listen, watch, study people. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that because I have this sense that, like, as these generations go on, people become more and more talkers and less Mm. listeners there's you know just with everyone wanting to make content and here's a video of me eating my cheeseburger and Mm -hmm. i'm going to this place and i did this today and t you know here's my tbt blah 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 it becomes so much more about ourselves and less about understanding other people and so i think that's one of the sacred things about Mm -hmm. acting is uh not just the actual acting itself, but oftentimes that capability to really like clue into some of the nuances of humanity. That's did you just come up with that in that moment? That's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I mean wow. just my hand. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Um going back to that true interview for a second. I loved that clip of you doing your Drew impression. I play that for people <laughs> ad nauseum. Hi. And I was like, I want to get her a gift. And I found at this antique market, these plates with a butterfly opening in different stages. I was like, perfect. And I gave them to her and she was like, oh my God. <laughs> if each one of these plates was to fall to the floor and smash into a thousand million pieces. <laughs> Each one of the pieces would scream, I love you, Melanie. (laughs) You both nailed the impression, but then the story itself was also so Drew. So you weren't just doing the Drew voice, but you were encapsulating that quality of Drew, (laughs) which is also like a fabulous quality in an actor, which is just like, she's just constantly delighted by 
humanity, by existence, by possibility, by intrigue. Um, are there any other celebrities that you are as adept of an impressionist at? No, I, I didn't think <laughs> that I did an impression of her necessarily. It's not like, hey, listen to my impression. I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, I've told people that story because it's a very charming story. She's so sweet. I, I don't really think of myself as doing impressions. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Um, you love The Housewives, correct? I only really watch Beverly Hills and I've watched some of, some of New York. Because I feel like so many actors love Housewives. Yeah. And I think that there's something there. And as we're having this conversation right now, we're talking about acting and listening and humanity, right? And it's like there's something about housewives, which is seemingly so the opposite of acting, right? Which is like just people being people. But I kind of understand why so many actors are gravi- like gravitate towards mm. it because they're people just being their most unfiltered selves. Yeah. And then on top of it, there's like that quality of like the talking head aspect where like they go into this room and they're like, also the narrators of their lives. So there is that sort of like God complex aspect to it. Yeah. But what is it for you that fascinates you about Real Housewives? I also love a lot of, I love Top Chef. I love, uh, I do love The Bachelor. We're watching Love is Blind right now. We're not caught up. You know, sometimes watching a scripted show, it's very hard to be like completely taken in by it. Because sometimes you know some people on the show or you audition for the show, or you read the pilot or whatever, or you, I, I don't know, there can be other complications. Like, it's a wonderful feeling to get into a scripted thing and just, like, lose yourself in it. Like, Broadchurch, that happened when I watched Broadchurch, where I was just like, take me into this world. This is incredible. Um, but I don't know, there's something about reality television that feels so far from my own life there is like such an authenticity to it. Like people try to put on a show and they just can't at a certain point. You're being filmed all the time. You can't. I love it. Now you mentioned watching Love is Blind. Mm. And you know, we're talking about Jason earlier and then you you mentioned his kindness. Yeah. When I watch the men on Love is Blind, Mm. and I'm a gay man, so I'm watching all these, you know, these heterosexual men. Maybe Mm. they're bisexual, who's to say? Maybe pansexual. But Mm -hmm. I'm watching all of these men on the show especially the ones in like the early stages that don't necessarily advance on. And it does not make me hopeful about the gender of men as a whole, especially when it comes to their proclivities around romance. Yeah. When you watch it, do you ever have this thing of like, thank God the guy that I got is like nowhere near any of these men on this show. When we watch anything, we turn to each other all the time and just say, thank God. Thank God. Thank God. We're so lucky. <laughs> you know, I don't want to like curse our relationship, you know, and make, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm so, I'm nervous to keep talking about how wonderful our relationship is, but Jason and I have been together through a lot of different seasons of life, you know, and I don't look exactly like I did when I met him. He genuinely doesn't give a shit. Like, I don't think he notices. Like, I feel like he's really just like your body, you know, and it's such a, such a genuine like it feels like unconditional love it I think it is unconditional love like I really feel like I can be myself I can be annoyed if I want to be annoyed I can you know he loves me with no makeup on he loves me with all the makeup on these men with these conditions and these expectations and women are supposed to look like this for me and do this for me and 
tick all these boxes. It's like, what boxes are you ticking, by the way? Mm-hmm. Right. But that's one of the great things, I think, too, about these shows like Housewives is you see these women often 50 plus, mm-hmm. often divorced, and it's kind of like life continues. Mm-hmm. They go and they find new men, often better men, sometimes mm-hmm. younger men. And I think like one of the great things that this show gave to the culture was this idea of like life is not over at a certain point. And I think a yeah. lot of people, not just women, but people can have this conception in their mind that I've done everything and it all goes downhill from here. And I look at some of these women and I'm like, I look at where they started on the show and then where they've like gone. And I'm like, this show, if anything, proves that like there's a second act, there's a third act. There are like so many more acts of life in a weird way. It like it makes me hopeful about the future, despite the fact that like a lot of them are not not a lot of them. Some of them are not great people. Some of them are narcissists. Yeah. But you know what? There are worse qualities, I I feel. Yeah. But it makes me hopeful about this idea that life doesn't only go on. Life can be whatever you want it to be. Yeah. And, you know, I've had a lot of younger actors come up to me and say, like, you make me feel excited about aging, which, you know, it's kind of like, thank you. But it, but <laughs> yeah, it, it is it's a compliment because, I mean, never say never. I don't know what the future holds for me. I might suddenly start want to be doing stuff to my face, but this far I haven't. And I just, I do think it's probably comforting to look at somebody and be like, oh, can you just kind of be yourself? Can you just kind of like keep looking like yourself and not have to keep trying to look like you're 25 years old? Like, am I allowed to go through the process of life and still keep working? And it's like, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know this was possible. Justine Bateman made a lot of headlines Mm -hmm. recently for being like, this is my face and like, I don't give a shit. She said, I think I look rad. Yeah, and she does. She, Oh, she's so gorgeous. She's so cool. And like, I just love, I think I look rad. I was like, that's an amazing way to put it. Absolutely. And you know, right before we got on, Cynthia Nixon just shared a bunch of photos from her vacation. And there's this selfie of hers that she took, no makeup on. Mm. And she looks so beautiful and it's just so striking to see the human face and it's so beautiful I know and you know what part of me thinks it's a little reductive of me to be like how badass that she's showing her face it shouldn't that that shouldn't be the reaction but it's the culture it's the culture perhaps yeah it's similar to the Justine Bateman thing she just doesn't give a shit but the Mm -hmm. irony being she actually looks beautiful so it's not one of those cases of like Oh, she doesn't give a shit. She's let it all go. It's like she doesn't she doesn't give a shit and she looks great. I feel very empowered by that. Whenever I see someone's face moving on television, I'm like, thank you. Thank you. I'm excited thank to you. see some expressions. Yeah. It's important. It's part of our job. Mm-hmm. Now, you are one of those actors that I imagine when people come up to you because of the range of not only work that you've done, but like work that's really touched people, that when they come up and do the, I saw you in this, Mm -hmm. I bet you the what they saw you in, there's really a gamut of things they might have seen you in. Mm -hmm. Is there an actor for you whose career trajectory you look at and sort of emulate in that same sense of thinking, they really just do it all? A big one for me is Olivia Coleman because she's so, so, so funny. And she's so beautiful like her dramatic work is so gorgeous she really tries a lot of different things and just nails them all and she can be funny and heartbreaking in the same moment like to me that's an actor also Regina Hall I just love so much and has a similar thing where like 
she can be in scary movie and she can be in like um, support the girls. Totally. She's a movie star. She's a character actress. To me, that's like an interesting career. Somebody who's just like changing it up and doing a lot of different things. Catherine O'Hara. There's so many people. I could just keep saying names. Those are three great examples. I'd love to see the three of them in something together. Oh. Have you seen Olivia Coleman in Flowers? I have, yeah. I mean, a top-tier show, top-tier performance. Mm. I just interviewed Will Sharp uh, for this podcast oh, a few weeks yeah. ago. I was like, I cannot believe that his mind built that show. For people that haven't seen it, it is like a must-watch. It is... It's pretty crazy. Also, I really don't feel like we give him enough credit for the impeccable American accent. Oh, my God. And I hear that. Like, I'll hear any little slip up when someone's doing an American uh -huh. accent. I was like, there is not one. There's not one second where you have, like, slipped into anything. He's angry. He's still flawless American accent. Like, it's so good. Yes, truly. Also so handsome. Very handsome, yeah. Well, there were two actors that I sought out uh, that are fans of yours that wanted to ask questions for you. I'm going to pull up the first. Melanie, it's Kristen Chenoweth, and as you know, I'm a humongous fan of yours. I have been for many years. I respect the way you do comedy and drama, and I get asked all the time what I like the best, and I say both because it's called life, and you just embody that in your work so beautifully. Speaking of life, um, something that I struggle with, and I've been asking a lot of my friends in the industry, and I'd love to hear your answer. What do you do to balance the work-life situation? I'm a workaholic, and I have a feeling you might be too. I don't know. But what do you do in your spare time, and how do you, like, calm down and, and, and relax while you're waiting for um, a shot or, you know, pace yourself out? That's kind of a two-pronged question, but inquiring minds want to know. Okay, I'm loving this new season of Yellow Jackets and have fun on the podcast with Evan. Take care. Bye. Okay. I <laughs> can't believe Kristen Chino has just asked me a question. She's, I mean, a, a legend. Uh, like, uh, uh, okay, I get it. Let me gather myself for a second. I also love the framework of a question being, I've been going through this mm -hmm. thing. Is this something that you've ever experienced too? Because I think there's something about like offering up some aspect of yourself within yeah. the question, I think begets a more honest answer. Great question asking. I, I feel like that's very true to her as well. Like I feel like she's so forthcoming. She's so giving. Like I always feel like I know so much about her. You know, she could just be this like elusive diva. And she's like, no, here I am. This is me. Like it's really incredible. Um, I, oh, I'm not good at work life balance. You know, part of the reason I liked the script for yellow jacket so much was, you know, I was like, Oh, half of the timeline is a younger version of me, not played by me. Like it sounds great. So at least I know that half of the time I'm going to be able to be with my child. Like once I had a child, I had to really settle my priorities a little bit but I'm not good at it. I never do anything for myself. I'm so happy when I'm exercising every day. I don't do that. You know, I do it when I can, but it's a tough one. I don't think it's easy to get the balance. At work, I am pretty good about asking to step away for a moment. Everybody knows I'm not like one of those actors who's going to just disappear or like take an Uber and go to the bar or whatever. Because I have heard <laughs> some horror stories. I 
sometimes need to be by myself. I'm an introvert and a lot of like activity around me before I have to go do a difficult scene can be really distracting because I can't just say like, Hey guys, I need a moment. I, I interact with everybody. I'm giving a lot emotionally. So I think just asking for the space and knowing what you need and sometimes like pretend headphones, like I'll put the headphones in, but I won't be listening to anything. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. That's acting. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I have another acclaimed actor that wanted to oh, ask you no. a question as well. Hi, Melanie. Hi, Evan. It's Lily Rabe. Thank you so much for asking me to do this. It is such an honor to ask you a question, Melanie. I am such a, a lover of your work and you're so mesmerizing and incredible and it's such a gift every time. Thank you. Okay, my question is, you've played a number of real people. We, in fact, just played the same real person. Is that something in your career that you have sought out? Do you feel that once you did it once, it sort of started to come your way? Do you think it's totally arbitrary? When a job that is a real person comes, your based on a real person comes your way, is that a bonus? Is it really just, do I like the part? Do I like the script? Do I like the director is this shooting in a place where that works for my family during a time that works for my family. All the things that might go into your decision-making process um, normally. How much of it being a historical figure or someone based on a real person factors into that decision and in what ways does it? I can't wait to hear your answer. Sending so much love. Oh my gosh, I love her. Love her. her. I, it's, it's uh, sorry, this is really like... I'm very like caught off guard. That voice, I just was like sitting there, like, oh god, that resonant, I know, beautiful resonant voice. God, I know. It's the thing I really don't have in my toolkit. Is that kind of like you know theater, like resonance? It's like melodic and sensual and grounded. Like there's a groundedness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. We did play the same person in two different uh, miniseries based on the Candy Montgomery case. And I would love to actually talk to her about that and what that experience was like. I feel a deep responsibility playing real people. Like I'd rather not, honestly, <laughs> I'd rather not. But sometimes like a story draws you in and you're excited about it. And that was the case with Candy. I really felt, I think for me, like I had lost a pregnancy and then I had to jump into a season of Yellow Jackets and I did not have time to process my feelings and I was just going to work every day. And I think I read a script where somebody was sitting in a lot of grief and feeling a lot of things and having like a complicated time. And I really, it it resonated with me. I was like, I think I need to get this out uh, through this particular person. But I felt like such a deep responsibility. And there's still a part of me that feels kind of like horrendous about having like, stepped into the the shoes of a person who who lost their life in that way like it's such a mm. tragic thing for her family such a complicated awful time for her family and I can't imagine what it feels like to have a story told about it it must feel very weird and I know the writers like did a lot of research and were very responsible and it's it's always a complicated thing because you have to kind of let it go at a certain point and say like it's the job of the writers to get the facts right and to try to tell it as accurately as possible. And then I have to interpret 
something. Yeah, I mean, I think about um, the blowback to the recent Dahmer series on Netflix because mm. the family all of a sudden comes forward and says, we don't want to revisit this trauma. Or I think about Pamela Anderson with Pam and Tommy where mm. she's like, wait a minute, you're telling and profiting off my story without me. It's complicated. There's mm-hmm. so much nuance in it. Is it art or is it is there some responsibility to accurately tell the story? But as you said, I think it's good to put that onto the writers and the directors and the producers and have that sort of be their job and you approach it as the actor embodying the role. Yeah, I mean, if you can't meet the person you're playing, you're guessing, you know? Yeah. Well, I talked to somebody who literally wrote the book about the case and he told me everything that people had told him about her. I felt like I had an understanding of what she was going through, but I'm also not her. If I like something, but it is a real person, it's a harder choice for me to do it than if it is not. Yeah. I want to ask you about celebrity memoirs. It's Mm. one of my absolute favorite genres. I have read some fantastic ones this year. Mm. I particularly loved Selma Blair's memoir that came out. Oh, I need to read it. We had her on the pod chatting about it. Uh, Molly Shannon's memoir was one of the best books I read all of last year. Is that ever a genre that you delve into? Yeah, I love, love, love a memoir. Um, Angelica Houston's was amazing. Did you read that? Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. It was incredible. Top tier. The stories. Yeah. And she's been in some rooms. I know. I know. And she was so open. I, I was really like, oh gosh. You know what's fun though? It's like that Angelica Houston type of fame mm. where it's like, she's extremely famous and she's extremely respected. Mm. Maybe it's when you just like reach that certain age where they're sort of like, you're you're such legend status that you can just say your shit. Yeah, I, she deserves it. <laughs> yeah, my God. Is the idea of like telling your story, putting it on paper and sharing it with the world, does that interest you? I don't know if anyone would want to read it necessarily. <laughs> I just thought actually of like kind of an underrated celebrity memoir, Portia de Rossi's memoir. As a person who went through an eating disorder and really, really, really struggled with it, it was very powerful for me, very meaningful for me. I will put that on the list. Recommend. The mere mention of Portia de Rossi elicits, you know, my attention. Yeah. Um, So I'm like, okay. But I just love the medium of celebrity memoir. Me too. It allows you to learn so much more about these people. I mean, we were talking earlier about those like long form profiles mm. that don't exist so much anymore. They do to an extent. Yeah. You mentioned Alex Young. I mean, like his Jennifer Coolidge profile from 2020. Like, oh, it was, it was amazing. Right before White Lotus. But memoirs just, they allow that space, right? Um, and the autonomy to tell the story how the celebrity wants it to be told. Yeah. And sometimes even the messiness of like, them not always being writers in the capital W sense of the mm-hmm. word, even that sometimes gives you more clues into who they are. I mean, yeah. Pamela Anderson's memoir recently, it wasn't just the words, it was like the poetic nature of mm. her prose informed so much about her inner life and then how her brain sort of functions that there was so much to read beyond just the text itself. Yeah. I've been, I want to read that one. It's so short. I mm. needed it to be so much longer. Did you watch the documentary? No, I haven't. Oh, highly recommend. Yeah, I have to watch it. I mean, there's, that's the thing about today, though. It's like there's always the thing you should be watching, and then there's like the 20 things you should be watching. I know. There's so much. So I'm a big proponent of like not telling people you got to see this mm-hmm. because I'm more like, here's what I'm watching. What are you watching? Yeah. I can't say I'm going to watch the thing, but I at least know the thing that you're up to. I deal a lot with, I'll post a meme 
about because like I'll I'll see a line or something that sort of like pings for me, mm-hmm. and then I'll post about it, and then people will think that. I'm like I'm within that fandom. Oh yeah. Like um like I hate to admit it but like I'm I've not really seen Succession. Oh, it's so good. No, I'm sure. Yeah. But like I posted a few memes and now I have all these people that like message me sometimes and they're like, you know, what did you think about, you know, cousin Greg doing this thing and I'm like, <laughs> "Oh yeah, that was crazy." <laughs> Even it happened with me with Last of Us where I'm like, "Oh, Melanie's on the show, Murray's on the show. I got to like dip in Pedro, etc." I was yeah. like, "I got to dip my toe in." And then I'm like, "Oh my god, there's a huge fandom here that like I was like, I am not prepared for this fandom. Yeah, I'm never prepared for a fandom, honestly. It's a lot. It's a wonderful thing. And it's, yeah, it's it's complex. It's a, it's a great to have a fandom. But when you have a fandom, you invite in a lot of opinions. Mm-hmm. Who are some people on social media or social media accounts that you really like? I mean, I mentioned this to you when I saw you at the Yellow Jackets uh, red carpet. Mm. You have had some iconic social media moments. You are... Very good at a clapback, I will say. Um, Are there accounts that you enjoy, celebs you like following, people that sort of get your attention? I mean, honestly, you. Like, (laughs) I wasn't asking. I know that you weren't, but like, honestly, like, you're such a joy. You make me laugh. It's thoughtful. It's funny. It's sweet. It's like your heart is so good. You can make fun of things without ever seeming like catty or mean or anything like that it's just like kind of an amazing quality and it just it's just joyful like I I I love your yeah you're so wonderful I always like seeing like I always call them the kids but the kids from yellow jackets just Uh at their fashion shows and like going to events and wearing their outfits and living and looking amazing or like their vacations it feels like my kids Gabrielle Union, I think, is great on social media. Yes, she really is. And really uh, uses her platform in such a powerful way. Yeah. I mean, even just her appearance at the NAACP Image Awards with her daughter, Zaya. Yeah. Her and her husband. Yeah, so she's incredible. I do want to say, though, to your thing about the sort of, like, never quite being mean, it's something I think a lot about. Mm. And my conclusion in my, the older I get, is that if you've got a mean thing to say, you can say two nice things and like you can you can use your words in a way mm-hmm. so that no one could say that you were being mean but to those people that are on your wavelength I don't want to say level because that sort of that creates a hierarchy on your wavelength mm-hmm. they will be attuned to the thing that you're not saying mm-hmm. but they will know what you mean sometimes it's what you don't post and you know with a platform comes I don't want to say power but comes the ability to really you can wield it in, in bad ways. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's incumbent upon people to really like be thoughtful, but it doesn't mean you have to be all roses and daffodils, yeah. but like you got to be smart about how you say the thing when you want to convey something that's less nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Okay. Before I let you go, I want to ask you because I recently posted the news about Natasha Rothwell's casting <gasps> in oh. The White Lotus season three, which I think the internet was collectively letting out jubilant noises. Yeah. I didn't think we would be getting White Lotus season three casting news just yet. Me either. So, so exciting. Um, I know you're a fan of the show. Where do you want to see season three go? Because now that we know that we've got Belinda back in the mix, many people online are like, okay, well, there's this Tanya inheritance that's got to go somewhere. 
Could it go to Belinda? Oh. I'm not asking you to write the show. I mean, we're in good hands with Mike White. We know that. Yeah, I think he's going to do a good job. Is there anything that you want to see from the show? And I don't mean plot-wise. I mean, like, maybe, like, thematically or just an actor or what have you. Is there just, what are you hoping for the White Lotus season three? It's sort of like that thing where Allison Hannigan got the role, but it's fun to imagine if it was Melanie. It's the same thing here. It's like, we're just, it's fun to imagine Mm. all the possibilities of the White Lotus season three. The thing I love so much about the White Lotus is there are people who feel like discoveries, like actors who I'm not super familiar with. Like Adam DeMarco, like last season for me was just like, this guy like he was so good he's so good and then people who you're seeing in a slightly different way it's just so smart like he's just Mike White is just so smart what he's doing so there's not really an actor in the world who wouldn't fit in because I trust that he would know exactly how to use that person like bringing Natasha Rothwell back I'm just like yes because she's so brilliant and it was so unsettled from season one. So it's like how exciting to have her come back. And also, as you know, there's something about this show that opens up career opportunities for anyone that touches it. Yeah. And Natasha Rothwell, I think the first season cast, it was a little bit more tricky because it was COVID times. Yeah. It was a little shorter. The hype wasn't as big as it is now. And so it's like the fact that Natasha can sort of get the proper white lotus treatment i hope she felt it with at the news of her coming back where it's just like this fandom it's a great fandom to be a part yeah. of where it's just like we rally behind and we are like loud and proud and yeah i mean it's a fun show especially oh. what you were talking about earlier one of the great things about mike white as a creator and this is throughout his whole career is he's a great studier of the human condition I do know he competed on Survivor. I do, and I haven't seen that season, but I haven't seen that many seasons of Survivor, but I'd love to see it. I saw him on The Amazing Race, I think. Yes, yes, as well, with his father. But, like, watching him on Survivor, it's so interesting because it's like he's not just someone that wants to observe, quote-unquote, how the other half lives. He's someone that, like, wants to get in the mix and have real interactions with people and, like, when he throw, he does Survivor watch parties where he's invited Angelina Jolie and Jennifer <laughs> Coolidge, etc. He wants to live in the world despite the fact that he lives in Hollywood. He stays sort of like with that intention of like not becoming the Hollywood director guy and actually being someone who, yeah, hangs out with Survivor alumni, which is as someone who hosts a Survivor podcast is pretty badass to me. Oh, I love it. Did you watch Traders? Are you can't wait, Traders UK or US? Oh, US. Okay, yes. US is a 70 out of a hundred. Yeah. UK is a 96 out of a hundred. Oh, okay. It's next. We're gonna watch it. Alan Cumming. If you thought I'm like, okay, how could anyone be as good as Alan Cumming? Yeah. Claudia Winkleman is Oh, it's Claudia Winkleman. It's Claudia Winkleman. Oh. Melanie, as someone who like likes the study of people, this cast is all stars oh my god i cannot wait and there are so many people over 50 because i feel like the u.s version sort of did that american reality thing of like yeah young hot people not that the uk older people are not hot um but like this cast in the uk they really it's like it's a huge mixed bag of people from all different walks of life oh my god keep your eyes on andrea Andrea's the one. Um, but okay. yeah, highly recommend. But but yes, love the traders. Excited for it to come back for season two. Need more housewives 
on The Traders season two. Brandy was amazing. She was amazing, but she only lasted. Her instincts are very good. Too amazing. Flew too close to the sun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Melanie, I typically end my interviews by complimenting the guests, but I will not do that today. Oh, thanks. <laughs> but I do want to thank you for your time and just thank you. Oh, no, everything, everything I'm going to say is a compliment. Okay. Thank you. I'm fond of you. I'm so fond of you. Thank you for <laughs> letting me do this. Thank you for being patient. Uh, this was so fun. Shut up, Evan. <sighs> Shut up, Evan. Shut up, Evan. Shut Up Evan is produced by me, Evan Ross Katz, with audio editing by Sophia Asmuth and social media by Griffin Dunn. Shout out to our Patreon subscribers for their financial support. And thank you to you all, the listeners, for helping us keep the lights on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods, for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.